Welcome back to the Fitness in Your Mouth podcast. I'm Coach DJ, and today I've got Coach Dan with me. What is going on, everybody? So I think our first one, we were talking about the transition from being a lifestyle client and possibly entering the realm of competition. This time, we're actually going to discuss uh, people that have already competed, those that are maybe on a journey to lose a certain amount of weight, but what happens once they've hit stage, it's all over, or they have hit their weight loss goal. Mm -hmm. Let me mm -hmm. take it off. Right. <laughs> so take I think off. there's... <laughs> Go ahead. There, there, this is a this is a very complex topic, and I unfortunately um, a lot of people don't feel comfortable disclosing this part of the process, and it can almost be a time that you know brings on feelings of embarrassment. Uh, it's it's really difficult for a lot of people to navigate this time period. They glorify it so much; they're so excited to step on stage, or they're really okay. um, pumped up about their their journey or hitting their weight loss goals. That when it actually happens it's a struggle. It's almost like a, a purgatory period. Um, I think that we should probably start off with the health repercussions as well, whether this is like a long-term fat loss phase or somebody dieting for a show. I don't think people understand that bodybuilding is not healthy. It's not at all. you are, you're getting yourself to an unhealthy level of body fat, you're not just losing weight for longevity and staying at a leaner composition. The body composition that you achieve when you are appropriately conditioned for stage is not going to be sustainable. And whether you're enhanced or not, and you are relying on compounds to help uh, facilitate the fat loss process, or you're completely natural and you're just kind of suffering the repercussions, um, you do have natural hormonal down regulations. Your basal metabolic rate is going to reduce. We'll have decreased T4 to T3 function. Your leptin levels will be crashed. There's a lot of things that happen. Men will lose testosterone levels significantly. Females progesterone will decline. There's a lot of things that are occurring within your body outside of, hey, I look good and I'm losing fat. So the post-show recovery period is really, really essential. It's not just about being done with the show or, hey, don't gain too much weight. You're in an extremely insulin sensitive state. It matters what you're putting into your body. And anyone that's been there has seen how rapidly you can put the body fat back on as well, which is why a solid reverse and exit strategy is important, whether it's a fat loss phase or competition prep. Yeah. And I think, I mean, jumping right into it, do you, and I know all coaches are different. I think as coaches, I think it is part of our job and our duty to make sure that we make competitors aware of, you know, what's what's to come after the show before they step on stage. Um, I know some coaches, they, they will have, you know, reverses should already be drawn out. I think whether or not they physically give them to the athlete beforehand. But I think one of the conversations probably before even – making the decision to jump on stage needs to be the repercussions of a no a bad or no exit strategy and no no kind of setup for success in terms of, of reversing out. 
You, so you and I, as well, I mean, our whole team, we all utilize reverse diets. Um, obviously, I we like to take a more aggressive approach because realistically, you you do have those down regulations no matter what. So if you take your sweet time in a reverse and you aren't very aggressive, you're just essentially extending the time period that you're in a deficit. So that's something that we like to tackle. Now, this is not something that we practice. There's really no right or wrong way. But in our industry, have you seen... Um, recovery dieting. Have you heard of that? Not just what you and I have really talked about with recovery dieting. However, I did do research after you talked about it and it is, it is very interesting. That is, I have some friends that are coaches that engage in recovery dieting. And I personally think that you're at much higher risk to lose body composition during that time period. But mm -hmm. the thought process, again, we, we do reverse aggressively, but the thought process behind recovery dieting is that potentially it can help prevent binging and long-term food relationship issues. If you just feed a competitor or a fat loss client as much as they can physically take every single day what they want until they have reached the body weight that you want them to be at starting off that off season. So maybe a female bikini competitor starts off prep at 125. She hits stage at maybe 112. She eats as much as she can stand until she weighs 125 pounds again. And then you start your diet plan up again. Now, I definitely see a lot of areas in that where you could have some potential physical health repercussions. And I'm not sure so so sure that after being so restricted for a time period that if you do go all out and eat what you want and how you want, that essentially um, you might not be able to pull yourself out of that state of mind real well. Here's the thing about that also is, I mean, you're talking about, if you use your example, one 125 stage rate of 112, that's a 13 pound difference. <laughs> I mean, I know people, myself included, at some points in uh, post-show, I could put that on wedding. in two days. Post-wedding, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that, that's easily done in two days. Um, now, are these – are these now, when we're talking about recovery diets, are they, are they pulling off foods that were already on plan and just eating in a, in a surplus? So, I only know three coaches that do this. Two of them will only use foods on plan which does help with a lot of the water retention that, that you would see uh -huh. typically post-show. The other coach is anything and everything. Get it out of your system so we can get back on track quicker. But all three continue, continue to implement. And I, I find that, I mean, there's, like I said, there's no right or wrong way as long as health is not being compromised. But in any way, there's there should always be an exit strategy set up, uh -huh. whether it's how we do it or someone else does, because that post-show time period is absolutely essential and it dictates the start of your off-season body composition for, for me in terms of that kind of post-show dieting i don't know about you but i think i'd be too scared to to try to to try it for the first time um i'm worried about hormones i'm worried about mental health i'm worried about i mean i mean i'm worried about everything that you could possibly be worried about as to where you're at physically emotionally mentally coming off of a show and moving into the emotional state too, you know, you, most people have never seen themselves this lean. 
it's the leanest they've ever been. And especially for females too, like I feel like guys in off season, the bigger y'all get, the more compliments you get, but most women are not getting those compliments in off season. And this is a societal thing. It's not right or wrong. It's just for the most part, as a rule of thumb, the leaner a woman gets, the more compliments she's going to get and the better she's going to feel about herself. Um, assuming you have enough muscle mass to love the finished look. So it's hard to, start intentionally putting back on weight for health purposes when you have looked your absolute best on stage there that right there is a journey to intentionally put the weight back on yeah despite i mean you placement aside i mean it's probably nine times out of ten it's probably the best they've ever looked in their entire lives they have spent the past probably i don't know 10 plus weeks getting compliments everywhere they go, whether social media, uh, at the gym, their family, their friends, they do the show, they get their congratulations. And then suddenly they're just kind of in the, in the weeds with everybody else that doesn't have a show coming up and almost that sense of, you know, I've been forgotten about and it's tough. It's very tough mentally for, I mean, women, obviously, but 100% guys too. And it's, it's like post-show purgatory because at least in off season, like you're building, you're in a caloric surplus, but there's nothing like having still a heavily restricted diet. You don't have a huge variety in your foods coming out of show. You're still restricted, but you're gaining weight because in prep, it, and it's funny, in prep, I always tell people this, like you're not hungry in prep because even if you do experience mm -hmm. physical hunger, you don't care because you're getting more shredded as the veins start climbing up. It's worth every bit of it. Like it's, it's not an issue, but then when you're putting on body fat, but you're still having to adhere to a diet that, that sucks. It's a purgatory period. Like you're, you're just kind of mm -hmm. not really doing anything and you don't see those visually pleasing results from the adherence. Like it's, it's, it's a tough time for sure. I know it was hard for me. I was, fully committed and excited during my actual off season, but the reverse period sucks for everyone. I mean, I think everyone would agree that stepped on stage is that the reverse is probably the hardest phase of all the phases that you go through, you know, as a competitor. Um, and your hunger your point, hormones are skewed bad. Awful, awful. And it's like, I mean, you spend all that time, you know, it's easy to be in a deficit when you have a date on the calendar where you're going to step on stage, you're going to look your best, and then you essentially have that moment. Then you're still a quote, I mean, somewhat like in prep, but with no end date and nothing to look forward to except here I go. I'm going to start putting on weight. Here comes the water. Here comes. This is where the discipline it. comes in, yeah. like more discipline, even than prep because again you mm -hmm. you aren't getting you're not getting peeled for your compliance or anything like that and and your hunger hormones like you've had those down regulations and myself included many competitors have been diagnosed formally with polyphagia post show which is an overeating disorder I was still only like 15% body fat but I was probably upwards of 3000 calories and I had an insatiable hunger because again, you, you have your hunger hormones are completely skewed. You're starving, even though you're eating more than you've ever eaten after your show. And you, the hunger pains will literally keep you up at night. And this is kind of where the discipline aspect and 
do you love the sport? Are you going to continue kind mm-hmm. of thing? Cause you get five minutes of fame. Like that's, that's really, I think people, unless you've been mm-hmm. to a bodybuilding show, people think that we're on stage and we're doing full routines, especially as like the bikini <laughs> girls, like we don't do routines like you guys. And you literally go on and they rush you off. You spend probably a grand total. If you don't do well and you're not in like overall comparisons, you might get a solid three minutes on stage. And you went through him for three minutes and then it's time to get fat again. <laughs> and uh, do you find, do you see any correlation between at least from your experience with the harder the prep, the harder the reverse and the more uh, you've been, you, found, you have found yourself off plan? Like I know for me, like when I did the Lee Haney games, it was an awful prep and coming out of it after the show, I mean, I went two, three weeks and I binge ate every single day. And I fell into that whole cycle of I would binge eat all day. Then I wouldn't eat anything up until like three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would put it down probably four or 5,000 calories of Waffle House. But there, I guess my question is, do you find it, have you found it in your experience, a correlation between the heart of the prep, the heart of the reverse? For my clients, absolutely. And I think a lot of it, again, has to do with their hunger hormones essentially being skewed. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're, they literally are not getting correct appetite signaling for myself. Um, I think I reversed pretty decently out of each, each of my shows. Um, I never really had an issue, but I also think that my preps were fair. I hate saying that because everybody wants to be like, Oh, I had a rough prep. Like I did the work in the off season. I ate a ton of food. My metabolism was awesome. I corrected the down regulations that were occurring your exogenous means. And I didn't really have that much trouble. I just, the hunger afterwards was like nothing I've ever experienced. And it's in my medical records that I have polyphagia. (laughs) My, uh, Jason, my best friend, he, um, he told me that, and this actually, to me, it became true that, um, if you always stay, even in, in your off season, you always try to stay 16 to 20 weeks out from a show you'll be in good, you'll be in good standing in terms of um, where you're at with at least that reverse phase um, and avoiding that, the, the binge eating. So if you get to a point when you're in your reverse, you're in your off season, you're going, you're giving yourself some extra meals here and there, some snacks. Um, and, and I kind of agree to a point that as long as you stay 16 to 20 weeks out, and I tell a lot of my people this, I mean, Health repercussions aside, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with going past, uh, what is on diet in terms of as long as you're getting your meals in, you're getting your nutrients in, um, and everything like that. I'm in complete agreement, but the hard the hard thing about that is that it's largely dependent on genetics. You know, like you and I are in a situation where, like, we went to your wedding, we had a great time, we ate all of the things, like everything. And you know what? We did our cardio, we were back on plan, and then we got right back to normal in a week. Like not everybody has that luxury. And that's kind of what sucks about bodybuilding. Like it's not really about your feelings. Like, yeah, I had a girl, I reversed her three weeks. We were already back at like 2,300 calories. And she was like as lean as she was on stage. I've had other girls where I know they're struggling with the reverse, which prolongs the, you know, reverse process. And sometimes we're sitting at almost two months in and we're still only at like 1900 calories. And because of the compliance issues, we really don't leave that 1900 calorie 
area. Like it's, it's dependent on the person, their genetics, and of course, compliance and communication. Cause that time period, this is the importance of also having a good relationship with your coach. Cause if you're freaking throwing down an entire plate of brownies every night and grabbing fries on the way home from work, like that's something we need to be aware of. So we're not asking you to pull unnecessary labs to check for certain hormonal down regulations. So you have to be able to communicate those problems with your coach. And sometimes it's embarrassing, but we're coaches. We see it all the time. We've been there. Remember I did an entire prep eating Nutella as a fat source. So <laughs> we've been there. I've, st I've still never had Nutella <laughs> ever. Um, I think the farther you get away from, uh, the farther you get away from diet, obviously, um, in your off season, it's just gonna, it's just gonna equate to how hard your prep is going to be, um, when it comes down time to prep for a show. So that is something, if you can keep that in the back of your mind, that, you know, if I get, like, I know for me, like, I know for me coming off the wedding and. I, I know the next time I prep, which hopefully will be this year, uh, I know it's going to be a really hard one just because of, you know, the choices I made from October to, to, to the end of December. <laughs> I, I get it. And I deserve it. But we, you know, we've been doing this a long time too. I think it's, it's, mm. this is why I hate when people call bodybuilding a hobby, because for you to be even half-ass decent at bodybuilding, it's not a hobby. It's, it's your life. It impacts your mm -hmm. social life, your family structure. Like if you want to be good at it, it is not a hobby. And even if you're genetically elite and you can just eat garbage and somehow your blood glucose doesn't get out of control and you just, you're mastering all these areas, it doesn't matter. You still have to time your entire day around eating. It is horrible traveling and arranging meals for travel and visiting someone's home. People can't afford to feed us. They can't afford that. I mean, it's there's refrigerator space when you travel. Like you can't go to normal hotels because they only have like the little fridges. You have to go to like one of the places with a kitchenette. Like it, it, it is a lifestyle. It's not a hobby. And reversing an off season is no different at all. Do you um do you warn? And I know you and I, we, we bounce ideas off each other all the time when it comes to dietary training, things like that. But when it comes to, and I don't think you and I have ever talked about this, but do you warn athletes about um, post-show blues? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I start talking about the importance of reverse dieting, usually eight weeks out. And then I start like pounding it in their heads at three weeks because everybody thinks they're going to master the reverse and nobody does. But we do talk to everyone about post-show blues. And that's why you and I, and as a, as a team, we kind of try and run through a mental health evaluation, which by the way, folks, if you haven't competed and you lie when your coach does a mental health evaluation, your shit in your world is going to fall apart after the show. And that's not on us. If you lie and you have a previous eating disorder or you have issues binging or you're in the middle of a divorce or you're about to file bankruptcy and you don't tell us, that's on you. So throw that out there. But yes, post-show blues is like nothing you've ever felt before because you truly feel aimless. And you can think if your whole life's about bodybuilding, you can lose your interest in going to the gym. Like it's not even about dietary compliance at that point. Like it's legitimate depression. Have you had post-show blues? I have not. I have not, but that's oh. because I've always felt, again, when you, I think it's a lot harder for people that might not be going into another show. 
-hmm. have always had something really exciting to look forward to. Now I went through a horrible bout of depression when I decided I wasn't going to compete anymore. Cause I mm -hmm. felt, I felt that I felt that aimless. Like, am I like, why am I bothering with this dietary compliance? Like I could still be moderately healthy and eat a high protein diet and not have to maintain this physique. Like I went through a lot of stuff that a lot of people go through post show, but it's really hard on athletes, both male and female. Mm -hmm. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever had post show blues either. I think I've gotten, I mean, when's the last time I competed to 2000, what is it? This year before me. 2021 universe was the last time I competed. So I wouldn't say it's post-show blues. Even I would just say it's just, it's been so long since I've competed as an athlete. And as a competitor, you kind of get that. It's almost like a mindset of, I hate to use this word, but irrelevance. Like it's been so long since I've competed where, you know, you almost fear, feel irrelevant in the bodybuilding community that you had fallen in love with while you're competing, while you're doing shows. Um, the thing that I always go back on is I've had two and a half plus years to just address the, just address the, the changes that, you know, the judges told me I need to change, which was a lot which was a lot. And some of them still haven't been fully addressed. It's, it's difficult and it can be, it's, it's hard for me to see people lose interest in what was motivating them to get out of bed in the morning. That's, you know, things that have positively impacted their lives to lose interest in that post-show. It's definitely possible. But again, that's discipline sticking to the routine. Like you do, you do come out of it. I do think it's something that more people experience and endure if they don't have aspirations to continue competing. Again, it's one of mm -hmm. those things like I'm not a fan of the bucket list show dream and that's going to make a lot of people angry, but doing a bucket list show like that's, that's not worth the physical and mental repercussions. You're doing damage to your body just to get on a stage once and get some pictures. And if you're only doing it as a bucket list and you go in with that mindset, guarantee you weren't as strict as you could have been on that prep. You won't love the finished package two years from then and then you're going to be much more susceptible to experiencing post-show blues because at that point like we go into off season and i think there's just a huge misconception and misunderstanding in our community um where you know, the average Joe feels like it can be something that is a bucket list thing, that it is something that is attainable, that it is something that is almost, almost easy. Like, you know, people feel like, I mean, I hear it all the time. Uh, you know, I, I eat healthy. I go to the gym every day. I want to do a show and just as a bucket list thing, not really fully understanding, you know, all of what it takes to actually get to the day where you're stepping on stage and, and you're competing. I think I, I see this a lot too. I think most people are forgetting that like, if you really want to do the sport, you have some type of body dysmorphia. Like no healthy, normal oh. person is like, wow, I would really love to do this. Either there's a part of you that's unhappy with how you look, you know, you're going to be unhappy and you keep striving for perfection. Like, I don't think anybody is a worse critic of our own physiques than ourselves. Like you and I will send each other pictures like, oh, we're disgusting. <laughs> you know, it's, you're going to be dysmorphic in some degree. So you either just 
kind of hate your body and you just want to be told what to do to make it better and you make a sport out of it, which sounds crazy, but that's what we do. Or you think you look way better than what you do and you spend 99% of your workout taking shirtless pictures because you just look that good. And then you go on stage. Like it, Either way, like it's, they're different ends of the spectrum, but you are dysmorphic in some way. If you want to get on a stage mm-hmm. half naked and have people tell you how to make your body better because it's not good enough, like no healthy person does that. So there's Nobody already going to be an underlying like thing. And then the food relationship issues. I I feel like so many people, this is where I see issues with a lot of on the female side of things will end up having some underlying issues with their food. Maybe they've been highly restrictive before. There's There's something there. And then they go into a highly restrictive prep. And this is where I think coach communication can sometimes, or lack of, can fail a client. You and I communicate why we do set meal plans. It's not because we're mean. It's not because we want to make you suffer, but there's human error. There's app error with my fitness pal. You know, there's, we are eliminating variables. We are creating consistency. Even if you measure your potatoes wrong every single day, but I have potatoes on your meal plan and we're not going by macros. I know when I reduce the volume of potatoes, you will be eating a reduced volume. Like it's, it's not to be mean. It's to remove variables. And if you don't understand that going in, that level of restriction can be a hard mental battle. And then trying to find that fine line of enjoying your life, spending time with friends and families. Yes, you can go out to dinner, you can enjoy a holiday meal, but how to prevent it from spiraling into something crazy because you've been so restricted for a period of time. I feel like bodybuilding can ruin a lot of people's relationship with food and make it an unhealthy cycle because really it's calories in, calories out. You and I know that. And we can have all these wonderful people preaching things on the internet to help people in their relationship with food. But once you have seen that, yeah, you ate something shitty, you can actually work it off. You absolutely can. Should you? Uh No. Is that the mindset that we should ever instill in anyone? No. But once you learn calories in, calories out, like it is what it is. You can't unlearn that. You've been through a prep and that will forever set someone up for failure, I feel like. Especially people that come from yeah, like eating disorders, things like that. It's easy to become very obsessed with, I mean, obsessed with the scale, but obsessed with the food scale. Um, Obsessed with, you just almost become obsessive compulsive about everything in your life, Um, especially post-show. I know I, it's one of those things that I wish I never learned, like how to read it. I remember I learned how to read a nutrition label and I wish I never learned how to read one of those. It's hard. The other day we went out for a free meal for anyone watching. That's what I refer to like my, my untracked or cheat meals, whatever you want to call them. I wanted to get the, I'm going to say this wrong. Poutine fries. Is that how you say it? Poutine. Do you know what poutine fries are? I don't know. Putin. Okay. Putin fries. (laughs) It's, It's basically a big old plate of French fries and it's covered in like a cheesy gravy. And like, that's it. It's just nothing but dietary fats, right? And I wanted it and I could have had it. This was my free meal, but my body was like, there's no protein in this. You have Mm -hmm. to have a lean protein source. And I I wanted just to eat the French fries and instead my dumbass ordered chicken breast with it. I didn't want chicken breast, but like the guilt that I carried inside for no reason, not having a protein source with that meal. Like I still have some I would say what would I do is still disordered in some capacity. Do I have balance in my life? Absolutely. Am I restrictive? No. 
I'm very healthy. My blood work proves it. I have a pretty balanced approach, but the fact that I can't order poutine fries, that's not right. A normal ass person can go and order poutine fries. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, um, yeah, like I said, it's one of those things I wish I never learned. Um, and it's, it's really tough because there's a lot of people that think, you know, I, I could do a show that won't happen to me. Uh, then you get post-show, then you get, you know, if you're eating four or five, six meals a day, uh, it's a conversation, a mental battle struggle that you have with yourself four or five, six times a day, um, before every single meal you you obsess over it. I do. Even on our cheat meals, like you said, I mean, we'll, we'll do like a, a at home cheat meal and Sarah hates it because I'll literally sit at every single ingredient, look at all the nutrition facts, look at, you know, where the sugar's at, <laughs> what, what is in this product that is going into my cheat meal. And it's, it's definitely obsessive. And if you have, you know, that kind of poor relationship with food, it's not going to get better because for, you know, a day and a half, you look the best you've ever looked. It's gonna get, it's gonna get a lot worse, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be uh, with catastrophic. We use that word a lot. Last last podcast, that's what it will be. And you you learn how your body responds to foods in different ways. Like us becoming mm-hmm. nutritionists and and working under an RD, like really didn't have the same impact on me as prep did. Like you ask the average person, like, how do you respond to rice versus potatoes? They don't know. They just know they're both carbs and carbs. They probably don't eat on a regular basis. You and I know what we look like on sweet potato versus jasmine rice mm-hmm. versus regular potato. We know what happens when we introduce gluten. Like you learn your body on such a different level where I would have said like, Oh, it's a couple grams of sugar in that creamer. That's fine. I won't use that creamer anymore. I'm only going to use my stevia. Like it, it changes your perspective on things. And for some people that can really help improve some lifelong habits. But for most of us, there's going to be that obsession, obsession in the back of our, our brains. You also learn to, to piggyback off that. You also learn when you do screw up, you also learn uh, about how many days it's going to take for you to, to fix and override that, that screw yeah. up. Thank goodness for All having muscle mass. And then I think one one of the other issues too that you and I talk about is when you're in prep, you're you're hyper focused, but coming out of it during that reverse period, I feel like a lot of people put their lives on hold during prep. And I mm-hmm. I don't have anything to contribute to that aspect of whether you should or should, but what I will say is because so many pe- people put their lives on hold that when they come out of prep, I see divorces, I see mm-hmm. people leaving jobs. I see huge life decisions being made when they're probably not quite stable because so many of the problems, their day-to-day issues that they experienced were just tabled and they didn't acknowledge during prep. Cause that's part of our job is kind of to see like, are you in a good place to prep? And we don't yeah. just mean your body. We mean like, is this going to stress you out financially? Is this going to take money away from your family? Do you have a supportive spouse or a supportive roommate? Do you have a grandma that's going to try and give you bread pudding every Sunday? Like we try and look at all the aspects, but people table things. And then the stress post-show, I think that's a huge contributor to, to the rebound process as well because people basically their lives it comes to a tipping point mm-hmm. and then they're in a place where they have to handle it mm-hmm. and i think the the onus is i think the onus is on us as coaches um essentially to have that conversation because it's not common knowledge people shouldn't people aren't going to know these things 
that's why we are hired. We have the experience, um, and it's it's our duty, and it's, it's every coach's duty to have these conversations and at least let people know, you know, what's what's in store. Especially not making those big life decisions after uh, they've committed to a show, um, because you're right. I've seen it's almost like I'm not gonna say as many or more, but it, I've seen so many people's lives. What I would call it go downhill following a show, then go uphill. That's why sometimes coaches have to pull athletes from shows because we're trying to prevent something catastrophic from happening because we do have a an outside perspective on what's going on in someone's life. But shows are shows can be can be really rough. Um the things that I have seen coming coming out that people just tabled have been Mm-hmm. And the thing is, this this isn't a fun conversation to have. And like, you're not going to no. hear a lot of people. They might like, oh, post-show blues are real. like, And they put it up in a cute little package and they put it on social media. But like, this isn't a fun thing to talk about because it it doesn't necessarily put a good light on our sport. We're sitting here talking about like, oh yeah, you'll have, you'll have an eating <laughs> disorder. You're going to be broke. You're going to binge. Like, like, It doesn't put a good light on the sport at all. But it's something that people need to understand. Because when there's a girl crying herself to sleep at night after binging, wearing her waist trainer because she doesn't have her diet, you know, back under control. She just lost her fiance. She's going to post on social media, a little flexing picture in her waist trainer. And be like, Oh my gosh, off season gains. Can't wait for growing season. Hashtag growth. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Everybody's glorifying it. Oh wait, was I that girl that hashtagged at growth and I was eating way too much and I shouldn't have been and lost control of my body composition. Yes. Yes. That was me. So what you see isn't, isn't always what it seems. And that's why nobody talks about this. It, it puts, it's not a good look on the sport, but I think people need to be more aware of what they're going into. And then some of the guilt that they may experience if things don't go right, will be decreased. We need a, we need, our next podcast needs to be reasons why we love bodybuilding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We gotta, we gotta make up for that. Our first two were rough. <laughs> we're we anti-bodybuilding. <laughs> I think it is. Uh, I think and I think it is on the the duty of the coach to also find out or try to get an idea of why why somebody wants to compete. Because I think more times than not, people think that competing is going to fix their issues. It's going to fix their relationship. It's going to fix uh, their marriage. It's going to fix all these different fix things. Fix their follower count on Instagram. Yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but um, but they think it's going to fix this this list of things in their life that they think is going wrong. When in reality, it's it's just not. It's It'll not. exacerbate it's, the issues, honestly. It's gonna make everything worse. And then there's, you know, we, you know, let's say you make it through your show or you make it through your reverse. There's the boredom aspect as well, and this is where I'm so bored. I, it's so it's you get people like, well, I, I want I want brand new workouts. I want this. I want that. I want I want to, I want to come up with another goal. I want to go straight into another show. And I'm like, well. We looked at your show photos. We did a post-show physique analysis. These are the areas you need to grow. So now that you've reversed is not the time to jump back into a prep. Like if you were binging three weeks ago, I'm not going to allow you to prep. And mm-hmm. I've had clients that actually left because I said no to prepping when they were binging out of control three weeks prior. So it it is hard because sometimes the reverse period or off season can be boring. It's a lot of food, 
when it's not necessarily exciting food, it's food that's nutrient dense that fuels you appropriately. Um, and sometimes the workouts might not be that exciting. Like I hate working out my lower body more than anything in this world, but I'm also lacking in glutes. So I have to do workouts I don't love for bodybuilding purposes. I can't just have pecs for no reason in the bodybuilding world. I have to actually build something as per judging specifications. And I think boredom is something that gets a lot of people post-shows because when they're not cutting, when the food's not changing weekly, we're only titrating up when weight gain stops. Like it's, there's method to it, but it's, again, it dictates like your level of commitment in the sport and discipline. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think going into it, if they haven't competed before, that off season is going to be a lot easier. They're going to get a whole different list of foods, but <laughs> it's literally the same foods you're going to eat on prep. You're just going to eat a little bit more. Maybe here and there you'll, you'll get something else. Like for me, I don't know about you, but cream of rice, like I'll, I'll, I'll eat pride foods in my off season. I like, I like cream of rice a lot. <sighs> the blueberry pride foods is so good. <laughs> but but I've had, I've had even on the workout side of things, it's like you go from enjoying training. If you've never competed before, you could be someone, let's just say bikini athlete. You can go from someone who loves training, loves every single body part, their favorite body part to train his back. Then they do a show, they get the feedback, they want to go back and they want to go back to having, you know, two different back days, maybe a lat day and a middle of the back day. But you're training for what the judges want to see. So it's not going to be fun. You might not be able to train your favorite body part that you like to train um, because you have to, to be competitive, you have to bring up the areas that the judges said it. And bikini, I mean, back is just, I mean, you can say it, but. It's just not one of you those You don't things. need one of those. You don't no. need a back. No. The only reason you have a back is so you can arch up and show your butthole more. Like, you don't need that back. Yeah, no, you don't. But it, it is one of those things where, where people want to or don't understand that in the offseason, you're still having to work towards your end goal, um, if it is your goal. Uh, step on stage, address the, the judge's feedback, uh, and come with a better package. So it doesn't mean that just because you're in offseason, now you can go back to you know, training whatever body part two times, three times a week, if it's not something that's heavily looked upon in your division. When an off season is, is hard and you, our, our company, I think we probably have much better client retention in terms of other competition coaches in all honesty, but in the community in general, so many people do that first show swap coaches immediately. They don't even, they won't even get through the reverse period. And then we see a, like 40 pounds gained in, a, in just a few weeks, whether male or female, it's a lot of it's that, that boredom factors. They want something shiny. They want something new, but unfortunately in bodybuilding, if you've got, if you've room to grow, then you have room to grow. New coaches don't fix that. New diets don't fix that. And I've got news for you. Like most, unless you have someone that practices some really odd gimmicky things, all of our diets look the same. If you are a good bodybuilding coach, your diet is not going to look different from anyone else's. So that's, and I, I tell that to everyone, like, and everyone's like, they're shocked because they expect me to say like, well, I do something really special and different that no one else does. No, nutrition is nutrition. Performance-based nutrition does not change those, those needs, those requirements. That doesn't change no matter who, who you are. You yeah. might have some brands that you like more than others, but that's really 
it and off season is not exciting and i feel like a lot of people go into off season with hopes to compete again and that's where we see either a lot of people fizzle out or start the coach hopping journey and that's hard for us too when we've worked so hard for development on someone and then another coach just has to trim the fat because we got bored in off season that's a hard thing to endure as a coach so as our clients are struggling like we're also struggling in some capacity like post show is hard and we're trying to keep people on track while eating more but gaining body fat but not too much and monitoring what's going on in their home life because we want to make sure that what we're doing is going to be conducive um to an overall well-balanced lifestyle for them entering the off season and it can be absolute chaos and to your point with the coach hopping thing um this is this is going to be unpopular to say out loud as a coach but sometimes it takes a show or two to figure out someone's body and how to prep them. Um, you know, I've had athletes this year who were very successful. Um, but I know next time I'm going to prep them a little bit differently. And if you keep jumping coach to coach, you know, one show, one show, one show, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you're not allowing coaches enough time to learn your body. It's easy to put someone through a deficit or through a push phase. Um, but truly learning someone's body and how they're going to handle prep is a whole different, it's a whole different animal. We have to make hard calls as coaches and it's, it's hard. And you and I have discussed this. You and I have both pulled people from shows and it's, it's hard, but someone has to be watching out for the mental health aspect. And obviously, you know, your, your family and your sanity is going to come before a bodybuilding show. And it's not always a popular approach or decision that we have to do that. But, and a lot of times I feel like when we have done it, we are preventing a post-show disaster. I mean, there's a, it is not uncommon to end up in therapy and fully medicated after a show. Like that is not an uncommon occurrence. So if we can help with that process, or maybe just get someone to a point where they are a little bit better to cope with those, those things. It might just be a matter of finances. I don't think people understand. And that's why we have, you know, a little cost breakdown sheet of what to anticipate mm -hmm. for show. And everybody says, that's fine. That's fine. But when it comes down to it, and then your kids sports for the year, there, those bills roll around. And then, you know, the gas bill comes because you prep for a winter show, like, it can get really tight and the amount of stress that comes from financial burden when we are telling you to buy so much freaking chicken. I don't think people understand the amount that the finances can stress someone. And then you end up going to the show, you're ready to enter three classes and now you can only enter one your first show. And you did all of that for one minute and 30 seconds of stage time. Only If you could only enter one class, what are you going to enter? Novice or open? Open. I actually think my favorite class is if I, if you have to be on a budget open and true novice, because you only get to do true novice one yeah. time. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And here in Texas, usually they do, they put all the heights together. They usually don't divide true novice. So it's super cool to see all the different heights against each other. It's just yeah. a once in a lifetime class. And then there's open, which is your qualifier, which is where the more competitive athletes will be, where you want to be to see yourself on stage. Novice is a waste of money. I it's a money grab. You don't qualify for anything. You can get a trophy, but like, it doesn't mean anything. So I love true novice and open. If you can afford it though, do novice, get yourself as many medals as do you can. Three. Yeah, do them all. Do, do them all as, you, as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It is, 
it's it's a journey. You got to deal with the boredom. You got to deal with the stress. Like it's almost like everything just kind of comes crashing down after a show and it, it discipline like that is when the discipline really takes over. I don't think discipline is an issue when you have a giant reward dangling in front of you. But when you know that you're headed toward more body fat, more boring foods and the same coach giving you workouts that you might not like. The amount of people where I've pulled a day after a show and added another one, but they want two days of that body part, like you mentioned, it's crazy, but we are not building it for our own purposes, for our own preferences. It's for judging standards. If you don't want to do that, then don't bodybuild. This Me, podcast <laughs> These podcasts aren't, aren't designed to scare people away. I think it's just you and I have, I mean, we've gone through it all. Um, and I think that there's a lot of things that don't get talked about enough in the community, uh, which is why there's not a lot of understanding as to, you know, what's to come after the show, where we need to be mentally, physically, emotionally before a show. Um, because I think you and I would both say if, if, you know, if you have all those ducks in a row, 100% compete because it is, it's like, if it's going to be life-changing, it's got to be life-changing in a good way. Um, and we definitely encourage that obviously. Um, but it, it, it is, it is a ton of fun and I don't think this is designed to scare people away from wanting to compete and provide horror stories to everyone. <laughs> it, there, and that's the thing though. There, there's so many horror stories post show. I have is. seen people just like it. Absolutely psychotic, like lose their marbles and it's, it's crazy, but at the same time, I feel like if people are aware of the possibilities that they will be able to cope with it a lot better. I kind of I kind of wish somebody had spoken to me about what I would feel physically coming out of a show. I, mm -hmm. based on what was I saw on social media, thought that I was just going to be super vascular and have really prominent abs and just be so strong, like all the strength. I didn't lose any strength in my prep. I'll throw that out there. But all the strength would just come back in me and I was going to be like the Hulk and eating tons of food and so happy and it was going to be this glamorous thing. And um, it, it wasn't at all. And that mm -hmm. made me feel really guilty. I felt it's so, horrible. It's so untalked about and so pushed under the brushed under the rug. It's like one of the it's like um, like almost like I compare it to like postpartum depression where a lot of people know that postpartum exists. Um, but it's something that nurses and doctors typically, at least my experience, typically don't talk about or warn people about. Um, so it's definitely something that it's to think about if you're thinking about competing, uh, understanding the risks, understanding the rewards, um, but know that it is not all, you know, Instagram post, uh, First, I want to thank, you know, it's not, that's not what it is at all. So understanding what you're getting yourself into is, is going to play a huge role into, you know, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, post-show, right? And for anyone listening, we, we never want to discourage it. We just want people to be informed. Dan and I actually love getting people into bodybuilding them, taking them through that first show. Like that's probably our favorite thing to do. We just want to do everything we can to prevent as much rebound as possible, approach it in a safe, healthy manner. That way it's not going to mess you up for life. And 
when you do experience these things, whether it's your first, second, or third show, it does get easier. I promise. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't ever go away. And it doesn't make you an emotionally weak person. Like we have pro Mm -hmm. clients that still struggle with post-show blues, reverse dieting adherence, and they're, they're pros. Like it's, it's, it's a challenging thing, what we're doing to our body. You know, it's not, it'll never just be easy for anyone. And if they say that they're lying, I promise. So we, we want to get people in the sport. Oh yeah. And and it does, it really does get easier. Um, I know sometimes you just got to go through the worst to learn. I know for me, my first show ever, I reversed horribly. I put on, I'm almost embarrassed to say I put on 38 pounds in three days yeah, it was not a good look. It was not a good scene in my life at that time. Um, but I learned from it. I learned that okay, when, and there's tricks that, that you'll pick up along the way. Um, like for me, what I learned was that the day I compete or the, the week leading up in peak week, I need to make enough food for my reverse so that it's already pre-made. I do my show. I have my meal or two or whatever your coach is going to let you, but then I have all my meals already in the fridge ready to go. So I, um, I set myself up for success. And I think as coaches, um, we need to make sure that we are giving those reverse diets out so people can plan and people can set themselves up for success because there's little small little tricks you can do, um, as you're going through it, that will make a huge difference on, you know, how you rebound post-show. Is that your your biggest tip post-show is have your reverse diet foods prepped and ready to go? Yeah, I would say, I mean, for me, yeah, I think that's a very important one. I have every show except my first one during uh, peak week. I have prepped, I spent a day prepped all my foods for that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the following week and set yourself up for success. You're going to see those meals. You're going to not want to waste them. Um, And you're just going to, it just, it's a mindset. You just want to get back to it. Um, and I would say, honestly, the, the most fun part of competing is after the show when you're still in the gym and you just look, you just look freaking insane. And you want to keep that as long as you can. If I have one piece of parting advice, it would be don't buy groceries and snacks for after the show. Go out and enjoy a free meal if your coach allows that. It's coach dependent. If your coach says, okay go have a free meal, maybe have brunch. Don't stock up on things from experience. Do not go to the grocery store and buy all the things that you were deprived of because that stays in your house and then you will eat it the entire week and you will not get Mm -hmm. back on that plan. Even with those meal preps in the fridge, do not stock up on junk groceries. Just go enjoy a meal if your coach allows it. That was my demise. I'm gonna put a little plug in any of my people. Uh, I'll allow it. I usually, what, what do you allow? I usually allow post post show and then one or two meals Sunday, and then get back on plan by Sunday night. That's usually, I usually my do post show and brunch because I know that they're like mm-hmm. they have like a, it's not a drinking hangover; it's the show hangover, post show hangover the next morning. So I usually do free meal after post show brunch and then back on it but i implement free meals pretty frequently through the reverse process because i feel like it does help with the compliance factor i'd rather them put on a little unnecessary water inflammation and fat that is controlled by me than 
them getting into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday, and just going, just going ham. I think we make reversing very. I think it's a feasible thing what what we we create and ask of people, especially because we put our own experiences into it. We we know what works, what doesn't, and what's gonna definitely cause problems. Nutella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Bre- a hard breakfast, thing. Bre- breakfast burritos and breakfast sandies. <laughs> if you want to put on thirty pounds, no, just don't even just don't even ask. <laughs> <laughs>